What's up, everybody? You're now tuned in to a new episode of Change the Subject. I am your host, BJ. You can find me on all social media at BJ. That's D-E-R-G-O-B-J on all social media. You can definitely find the show, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. And today I have a very special guest. And just a quick story. Okay, I was going through some financial changes. I'm sitting here telling myself, like, I got to make some extreme changes. I'm getting ready to go, you know, sign up for this law firm, Lexington Law, pay this money to get my credit in order. And then out of nowhere, a YouTube video pops up. And I'm bringing this to your attention because a lot of times your breakthrough is a lot closer to you than you actually believe it is. So I'm looking at this YouTube video and it's this guy that I know. I mean, just so happened his wife is my girl's friend. Like, and then I end up watching the video and it never dawned on me. Like I seen this guy before at a, a table at a restaurant. Like we had been sitting there dining, having fun, celebrating the whole nine, but it never dawned on me like where I knew him from. And so then I see him again, but when I seen him again, I just knew him as, you know, my girl's friend's husband never put two and two together. And so finally, um, had some setbacks closer to where we are now. And then I'm like, okay, look, I got to get serious and I'm about to go ahead and pay this lawyer this a hundred dollars and get on the right track. And then again, another one of his videos pop up. And so I'm like, okay, that's her husband. Like that's crystal husband. So I'm like, let me go ahead and reach out to him. And we have the set, we set the conversation up the whole nine. And then I go to DM my address and he like, bro, we stay in the same complex. (laughs) (laughs) So again, your breakthroughs are a lot closer than what you actually believe them to be. Today, I have a gentleman by the name of James D. Anderson from JDA Solutions sitting in today with us to talk about finances. So thank you, sir, for coming through. I really appreciate you sitting down with me. How you doing? I'm doing awesome, man. Hey, dude, thank you for having me on the actual podcast. I love talking about business, money, capitalism, finance, credit. That's right up my alley, dude. So I love talking about it. I I keep it loose and I keep it fly with it, you know? I really appreciate it. I really didn't understand um, how I missed all of those clues, like just going through the processes of dating my girl. And I'm like, he's been around me all this time. And it never dawned on me that this was the same person. So... That's why I reached out to you. Thank you. Man. But um, I really do think that it's time to have like a more realistic conversation about finances, because I mean, for the most part, my decisions with finances have never really been something that were taught. Mm-hmm. I, I just think I play it by ear. Okay. And um, a lot of times I don't think that's the best way to handle anything, because playing it by ear doesn't necessarily mean that you know what you're doing. Right. So, um. Just to start off the show, just give me give us like an idea of what JDA Solutions is for you and what it does for other people. Well, absolutely, man. I um I was one of those people that did everything that I was supposed to do. Right. Mm-hmm. I went to school. I got the degrees. I kept my nose clean. You know, I graduated at the top of my class. Okay. I did everything I was supposed to do by the book. Went out, got the good engineering job, moving up the corporate ladder, doing everything that I would literally if 
my dad will say this. You know, he'll say I was like the perfect son. No okay. trouble, no lockups, no hoochies, no girls. <laughs> You know, no babies being brought home. So, you know, you know, had basically one major girlfriend and I got married too. Like oh, I did man. the whole Excellent. thing. You know, me and Crystal been together for a long time now and um and I was broke. Flat wow. out broke. Wow. Um I'm going to work every day, making money, getting bonuses, mm-hmm. and I literally just don't have any money in the bank. Now that's a true story. Now mm-hmm. looking out from the outside in, everybody said, Well, he's an engineer, he's doing good, he's got multiple degrees. But it just wasn't short of a bank account. And really probably the biggest change of force for me was when I got a bonus check of seventeen thousand five hundred bucks. Damn. A lot of people were like, Well, yeah, a lot of people get that reaction, like, <laughs> damn, dude, like, that's that's a dope bonus. Right. But how much you think I actually got deposited in that bank account? Like, I got less than ten thousand dollars. Oh wow. So I learned what it meant to be in what they call the high tax bracket. Okay. So here I was, not married. I don't have. I wasn't married at the time. Don't have children. I don't have a mortgage, mm-hmm. and I'm making money on paper, but I got none in the bank. Right. Between auto loans, student loans, all that stuff was eating up all my cash flow. So I was like, there has to be some type of change there, mm-hmm. right? So I started searching, looking, hunting, going to seminars, doing everything I everything I needed to do to find out what it is about money because obviously. It's not working for me. Right, right. And so that's when I, you know, I kind of taught myself. I partnered up with people. I kind of started immersing myself around people that have that conversation about money. Mm -hmm. And I've been able to do a lot of great things for myself. So first off, since I'm kind of the engineer in mind, right? Right, right. I was like, let me do it for myself first and make sure that it works. So I started saving money on taxes, started getting out of debt. Credit stores started, started going up, started having money in the bank. Life became a little bit easier. So I said, let me start teaching other people this particular process. Mm-hmm. And what I focus on is strategy, right? I always right. say strategy can can help you get to where you're trying to go more than anything else. So that's more than making income. That's more than getting a promotion. That's more than saving money, even more than budget. If you have a strategy and a plan, mm-hmm. It can be the solution to your problem. Oh, okay. So ultimately, cool. that's why JD Solutions is what it is. You know, I'm mm-hmm. giving people financial solutions, having that conversation that most people don't have. Right, right. So are you still doing the uh, podcast, the Be Great With Your Money podcast? Yes, I'm still doing that podcast, hashtag Be Great With Your Money podcast. Um, still dropping that baby. Uh, we do it about uh, every two weeks now. Okay. And um, along with doing that in the YouTube content. So trying to get the message out as much as possible. Uh, absolutely. Definitely um, follow the Be Great With Your Money podcast and um, check out his uh, channel on YouTube. Because it's a lot of good information and it kind of built the premise of the whole conversation. Um, just watching a couple of the videos, I was able to put together a plan of some sort to um, build upon for myself because I got four major goals within the first two years of this five year plan. Okay. Um, one of which is to go back to school. Like I kind of get overwhelmed with just using my current knowledge because I feel like it's just rehashing old thoughts Mm -hmm. and you kind of want to, you know, to refresh yourself, um, and do different things that promote your growth. So ultimately one of the reasons I wanted to go back to school is because I'm also looking to start my own business. Mm -hmm. But the problem is when we look at school, the first thing that we naturally say to ourselves, if we are up in age is I'm one, I'm too old. Because you're thinking about all of the financial mistakes and decisions you've made prior. Right. And then here you are 
about to establish new debt mm-hmm. with the student loans and the things that come along with being in a you know educational institution. So right. what are some things for the person that wants to go back to school? What are some financial decisions they need to make first before even making that decision to get, get back into chasing an education? All right, that's a good question, man. Because I, I get hit with, I was just talking with a guy yesterday. He's trying to go back and get his master's, right? Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll tell him, the, I'll tell you the same thing for your listeners, the same thing I tell everybody. First of all, you want to chop it down into to two different baskets. Mm-hmm. The first basket, you need to look at what your future value of your education is going to be. Okay. Meaning that, okay, if I'm going to go take out this debt and work my tail off, and a lot of, and a big investment a lot of people don't remember is your time. Right. 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 If your time in school could be time that you're using to build a business or generate more income or do something different, you know, mm-hmm. so take the time and take the debt that's going to be required for you to get said degree, said education, get mm-hmm. into whatever industry and then look out, look out, look for what the payoff is going to be. So then the payoff, what I mean by is how much you're actually going to increase your earning potential by. Right, right. Let me break it down for an example, right? If you're a bachelor's degree engineer here in the metro Detroit area, you can be like me and be out there in the field and work with suppliers and make just about the same amount of money as a master's degree engineer. Oh, wow. And because I, because if you're out there in the field, you might get maybe, let's say for instance, you instead of making $80,000, you might make 90 or 92, mm-hmm. right? But if you can get that spread up and get close to that, Without like going to spend another twenty five or thirty thousand dollars in debt, in debt, right? Then, then you got to look at it from there, right? Then right. also the time for me to go get the master's degrees in engineering and stuff like mm-hmm. that. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense in that regard, right? Because I can increase other skills that do not cost money to help me get there. So that's number one. Look at your time is going to be required, and look at the overall payoff when you get to whatever industry, right? Now, honestly, right. if you go from Busting tables to, you know, nothing wrong with busting tables. I bust tables for years throughout school. Mm-hmm. If you busting tables and you be like me, you go into an engineering degree, right? You go from making $15,000 a year to making $75,000 a year. It mm-hmm. might be worth it. Right. So then the second basket I tell people to look at is, okay, look about the overall quality for the industry going forward. Mm-hmm. So whenever you invest in something, we're looking at future value. And this growth potential. Right, right. See, right now I can go and let's just say, for instance, um, let's take it back a little bit. Let's say, for instance, I went to trade school maybe 20 years ago. Okay. Right. I'm And I went to trade school for electronics to learn how to do, um, let's say, office equipment, mm-hmm. printers, faxes, you know, the big copiers. Right, stuff right, like right. That. None of that stuff is really valuable right now. Right, You see right, what I'm saying? Right. None of that stuff is really valuable. Although at the time, you were in high demand, mm-hmm. right? You you were making money. You were in high demand if you were like a technician like that. But really, that's not a high demand because we use everything. or either PDFs, e right, right. Everything is done paperless. paperless. Go green. Right. You know, if I was a paper technician and now we're going paperless, then... What's, what's my right, potential that growth? That makes total sense. So I look at those. So I tell people, look at those two things. I look at the future growth for yourself of what you can earn in that industry. What's the spread between that mm-hmm. and count your time and also look at the industry you're trying to get into and its future potential. Right. Right, right. now, if you're going into mechatronics and robots right now, you know, automation. Right. You right. Know, even given like the restaurants come up with automated processes and 
looking at um, manufacturing plants going to collaborative robots and things like that. Uh-huh. That's a huge industry that's going there. Okay. That might be something you want to dabble in. But if you're talking about, um, you know, I'll just play, play devil's advocate, right? Everybody say don't use a microwave because, it's, you know, it kills the food, food right? right? But if you're going to learn microwave, how to do a microwave, <laughs> it might not be there because in two years from now, we might say, you know, it might say microwaves aren't worth anything. Right, so, right. Those are drastic examples, mm-hmm. but you but you got to look at it. Since technology moves so fast right. and things and industries change so fast, you have to look at those two differences. Yes, yeah. because it definitely um, makes a lot more sense to why certain people always say, I went you know, to college for four years and I'm not even doing what I went to college for because that's just how quick technology has like taken over so many different platforms right. that we live in every day. So, yeah, that makes sense to, like, weigh your options for, you know, your future first Mm -hmm. and then make the decision. Um, I think that's probably what my biggest issue was because I have I'm one of those people that are good at things I don't love. Right. You know, and you find yourself stuck in a position or what I would like to call unnecessarily stuck in a position where you're just good at it, but you don't love it. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And now. I'm realizing that about my current profession, which is truck driving. Like, I'm, I mean, no accidents, never been in nothing tragic. I'm good at it, right. but I just don't love to do it. And I want to make those decisions moving forward to do things that I actually love. Mm-hmm. But, um, of course, going to school and then trying to start my own business. I have some media ideas I want to get off the ground and mm-hmm. some fashion choices. The credit is the big holdup. Right. And, you know... I really don't love dealing with credit either. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wish it was a lot easier than what it is, but I just got to make those necessary steps. So, like, what are the baby steps to credit establishment to start a person on the right track? Like, even if you're not using credit, Mm -hmm. what can you do to just make sure that it's decent so when you do want to use it, it's, like, somewhat there? Okay. That's a good question. I get that a lot. So, Basically, James, what are the baby steps for me to get going? Right, right. right. If you start off from zero, the first thing I always say, you know, I always say strategy trumps everything. Okay. So first of all, let's break down. I'm going to give you guys some free. I'm about to drop some free training real quick. You know, most people pay for it. I'm going (laughs) to drop it free. First thing is understanding how does the credit actually break out, right? So there's several different factors that make up your credit score, your credit report, and overall your credit profile. Mm -hmm. And what you have to think about it is, is your adult report your report card. Right, right. So your credit dictates to the industry, society, America, capitalism, whatever you want to call it, it dictates how you are as a person. Not to say it's necessarily true, but just Mm -hmm. understand that insurance companies, banks, companies, they're looking at it from that perspective. Right, right. If you have bad credit, you will get higher insurance rates, right? Okay. If you have bad credit and you want to go get a cell phone, you're going to have to put down a big deposit. Right. You know, if you have bad credit and let's say, for instance, you go, you know, uh, pick up a job like, any with dealing with any type of finance, you know, you're working for a company that deals with money, they're going to pull your credit report. Mm-hmm. And if your credit report is bad, they might deny you the job because a lot of industries thinks if this person has bad credit and they're bad with their money, then they're not going to be a good steward with the company's money and they're going to be stealing. And that's honestly wow, what companies wow. think about. Okay, that you know, makes total sense. It's it's just as is it's to say I'm going to draw a correlation, but but it's going to be extreme, you know. It's just like saying, you know, you got crime or felonies on your profile, right? Mm-hmm. 
you know, companies, we all know that companies look at it like, okay, this person, because he got a felony, he could be re- rehabilitated, could right. be out here trying to be a productive member of society, but because that person has a felony, oh, we can't hire him. Right, right. It's the same thing with your credit profile. If your credit profile is tore up, it's not as extreme, but that can be a factor. A factor. So, mm-hmm. first of all, break down what, it, what, what constitutes a credit score and what constitutes your credit profile. So, number one, you have to understand that out of the score, 30% of the... The, uh, the characteristics of your credit score, 30% is weighed upon your amounts actually owed. Okay. So your amounts owed. So that's your actual, um, your credit utilization that you have. Already, okay. Right? So um, a good rule of thumb is you want anywhere between 30% or less of your credit utilization out there. So what I mean by that is if you got $10,000 in credit, you don't want to owe no more than $3,000 if you got $10,000 of open credit. Okay. So what they didn't say is, okay, this person's a good steward. He can control himself. When he got a lot of money, he's not spending it all up. So 30% goes to that. Okay. 35% goes to payment history, bro. Okay. 35% goes to payment history. So I can tell everybody, if you don't burn up all your credit, and if you don't, and if you pay your, your bills on time, you got 65% of good graces going towards your credit. Okay. A lot of people think that new credit cards and all that stuff is a big impact. It's not. It increased your credit utilization, but new credit is only worth um, 10%. Okay. 10% of your score. Length of credit history, people think, well, I haven't had credit for a long time. It's only worth 15%. And, you know, 10% is credit mix. So a lot of people say, well, I got to get a store credit card. I get an auto loan. I got to get this. I got to get that. I got to have good credit mix. That's the only comes with 10% of your score. Okay. So overall, when you look at that, is how do I attack the biggest portions in the shortest amount of time to increase my credit profile? Okay. Make sense? Right, right. So that amount's old and that payment history. If you're not current on your stuff, get current on your payments right now. And that if you get current on your payments, it's going to reduce the amount's old, and that's going to help boost your credit. So those two factors are going to get you there. Now, people say, well, James, um, I don't have any credit. I need to establish some credit. Well, that's when you start looking at, okay, what can I actually go out here and apply for and be approved for? Right. Secure credit cards. You know, those things are, if you got, if you have zero credit, you can usually get a secured approved credit card, which is basically means that you have money put down to leverage the credit card because you have no credit. Right. You right, see what I'm right. saying? Um, if you wanted to start off with a department store credit card, something like a Best Buy or something that, you want to you want to use and you can get some value out of it. Mm-hmm. I think it's worth it. I I kind of hate the Macy's yeah. credit card because you know at least if I go buy something from Best Buy, I usually can flip it and sell it if so I don't, if want, I don't it, want it. You know, right, right. You know, or you know, like like you said, we're doing this podcast or something like that. You're trying to build credit. Maybe you need some new mics. Maybe you need mm-hmm. another sound card. Maybe you need something that you can actually put forward to generate something else. Right, right. I look at it from that regards. And of course, I'm always big in investing in education. So if mm. you got you a visa or something like that, maybe you set yourself up with Skillshare and learn a new... Right, learn right. A new, learn yeah, a new that's trend. one of my best friends. Yeah, so... Skillshare and Creative Live. Right. So, you know, <laughs> that might be something you want to do as well. Um, but starting from there, once you understand what kind of breaks down, then you can start attacking it. Okay. So you focus on getting current. And you focus on getting your credit utilization down, which can happen by two ways. Getting new lines of credit mm-hmm. or reducing what you already owe. Oh, okay. And those two things will start helping your score go up 20, 30 points, chunks at a time. Now, okay. one key thing that people miss out on is get all three of your credit reports. Go Actually, go 
go physically get them. You get them free. You're allowed one every year from all three bureaus. Credit Karma is cool, but it's a it's a marketing site. Okay. Right? And sometimes you got something on TransUnion that's not on Equifax mm-hmm. and, and vice versa. Right, right. So you need to get an uh, understanding of what's on all three credit reports, what's actually true, what's not, what's inaccuracies, what should be on there. And from there, you can start building. Right, right. And that's okay. ultimately what credit repair agencies do, right? They're mm-hmm. just disputing inaccuracies. It's all about who can prove who owe what. That's all it is. There's nothing magical to it. Oh, wow. Okay, okay. Yeah, because I did... Um. I did learn that early on that Credit Karma did have a lot of inaccuracies because mm-hmm. when I would apply for certain things, they will send me a document, of course, that, you know, the answer to why you didn't get approved mm-hmm. and the number ratio was like completely different. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, and then you would be looking like, well, how did I not notice? I check Credit Karma all the time. Mm-hmm. And so then I decided to like not so much lean on it, but. Um, just use some of the information. They give you like options for, you know, the secure credit cards, which I just, you know, signed up for one to kind of establish some sense of credit. Because even when I was going through the process of finding an apartment, that was the holdup that I didn't have any credit, right. you know. So just to, you know, establish that I had to get a secure credit card and, you know, just start doing little things. Um, I think I signed up for a guitar center credit card right and that was my first that was my first credit card too. yeah I had a and it was card. it was easy to get the little quick little yeah. 800 dollars. yeah i burned it quick <laughs> because of course you know us being in the media and doing all of these podcasts and things like it was easy to just burn that 800 that fast yeah but i did not look at the paperwork Mm. And the APR was ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. So <laughs> how they get you a lot of times at department stores, and I noticed because I had a guitar center card, is that they'll say, "Okay, um, you got like a promotional period where they say zero percent financing mm-hmm. for twelve months, twelve months, or something like that." Or they say, "You know, um, you can make same as cash payments on the credit card." Mm-hmm. And basically, what the same as cash, same as cash payments basically say is you. You know, you pay this amount every month, and if you pay it off before the end of the promotional period, mm-hmm. if you pay it off completely, you don't owe any interest. Right. The problem is most people don't pay it off because they're not sending a bill to your house, house because they're not requiring you to pay. Right. You just basically got an open balance with no interest on it. So if you're not making payments, once you're in that promotional period, they back charge you for all the interest. <laughs> and then you, you just done for because... Now you got a balance that accumulated interest for a year. Sometimes it's at 24, 29, 32%. Right, and right. And you, and now you, now you got interest and finance charges and all those things against you. So when you're doing something like the department store credit card, they're great because they're easy to approve for. Mm-hmm. But like you say, look at the paperwork, yeah. understand what you got. And definitely take advantage of that grace period, you know, mm-hmm. pay it while you can, even if it's not due, just pay it because. They smacked me upside the head, something ridiculous for that $800. Yeah. And then when I finished paying it off, I almost paid them like 1800 Yeah. Like easy without even, you know, without even really recognizing it because <laughs> the payments were still small. Now think about that. You didn't pay for something three times over. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I learned my lesson with that. Um, when it comes to like, like you say, like department store, credit cards, um, finance and education, um, how is it, how can we start to look at things as 
opportunities versus actually seeing the debts first. Like, um, sometimes I think that when we look at like signing up for credit, it's like, oh, I don't need no another credit card. But you don't realize that the credit that you probably had didn't really do much for your credit or the the loans that you may take out. Yeah, I mean, it's a loan, but it's actually, like you said, like looking at the future potential. Mm -hmm. Like, how do we see things as opportunities instead of looking at the debts first? So there's some personal finance people that's going to tell you um, never have any debt, right? Mm -hmm. And there's some that's going to tell you to leverage. They call it OPM, other people's money. Mm -hmm. Leverage as much other people's money as you can to get yourself ahead. So there are two schools of thought. I'm kind of a half in and half out guy. Okay. Let me explain to you the first end. I'm I'm, I'm okay with the don't have debt because most people don't have the financial literacy to even leverage the debt. So for most people starting off fixing their finance, don't even worry about that because you probably got too much month and not enough money. So what's going to end up happening is that you really don't have a credit uh, problem. You really need more income. Mm -hmm. And as you start making more income, you'd be surprised at how easy credit comes toward you when you got money in the bank. Oh, wow. That makes sense. You know, you'll be surprised at the things that you could do. So you might be that person that, you know, if you got money in the bank and you want the promotional period for opening up this credit card at this store because they're going to throw in, I don't know, they're going to throw in an extra $200 in coupons, you know? Right, right. But I got the 800 bucks at the crib, so as soon as I get my promotional items, I go home, and once I get the first note, I'm going to mail in the payment. See, that's right. that's leveraging the system because I got money in the bank. So that mm-hmm. might be opportunity on a small scale. As far as the bigger scales of long-term investments, like the loans, the education, stuff like that, you got to look at the potential again. What's mm-hmm. the we'll always look at what your rate of return is going to be on that. Okay. Always look at what your potential return is going to be. Okay. And that's leaning towards into leveraging credit to get yourself ahead. Okay. For example, you might have a business that's doing very well on the cash flow end of things. Mm-hmm. But let's just say, for instance, um, you wanted to keep your cash reserves. And you wanted to get an American Express business account to order some supplies for your vendors. Okay. You already got the purchase order coming in, right? For mm-hmm. whatever. The, you already got the money coming in from the customers. You're already committed. But instead of using your cash reserves right. on this deal, mm-hmm. you know, because you still got overhead, you still got people to pay, you might leverage your credit to fill the order into the PO players. And the okay. PO is a purchase, purchase order. Orders. I'm, I'm right. speaking more business terms, but... Here's the thing, you know, if you ever worked in business, it is not like cash businesses like getting your haircut to get your nails done. Right. When you start doing a business, you have what's called net 30, net 60, where your people got 30 or 60 days to pay you. Oh, okay. So you might, you know, you send them an invoice, it's net 30, they got 30 days to pay you. Right, right. You still need your cash reserves. So instead of using your cash, to build the product and ship the product and things like that, you might leverage your credit to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a huge return because if they pay you in 30 days, you don't get the interest, you pay it off, you still keep your cash reserved, but you use other people's money. Now you made a profit, cost of goods sold, when right, bam, right. we got it. Right, right? right. That's okay. that's a simple way of putting it, right? Mm-hmm. So you look at it from that regard. But now, what I do tell people all the time is that if you're behind, and you don't have enough money to take care of your household right now, credit is not going to help you. It's actually going to destroy you. Wow. Okay. If you don't have enough income in, enough cash flow coming in to take care of your household, 
to pay yourself first, to pay your tithes and offering if you want to do that, to pay your health insurance. Mm-hmm. And I do I do admit that you need to have a little entertainment in there. Yeah, you know, absolutely. People need to, you know, you spend time with the wife, spend time with the girl, spend time with the hubby, mm-hmm. you know, and have some money to set aside just for just in case emergency. Mm-hmm. Credit ain't, credit's not going to help. You don't have a credit problem. You got an income, income problem. problem. Right, right, right. And with those two steps, when you get there, you can say, okay, ready to return. What's my potential? You know, what what makes sense? How can I make a conscious decision and not, you know, do something stupid? Stupid. You pretty wow. much got it. Yeah, that I don't really think that was ever explained that way. When I when I was learning about like credit, you know, like people would always say that the credit card was like the just in case. Like you know, no, hell no. use it for <laughs> if you got to put gas in your car. Nah, and, no, no, no. And it, it never really worked out that way. <laughs> no, so now good. that truly makes sense. That's a good point. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that. Dude. So for you, for so for your listeners, man, um, credit card is not an emergency fund. <laughs> an emergency fund is an emergency fund. fund. Right. Emergency fund of cash or cash equivalents. You know, you might have it like in a money market or fund, mm-hmm. but you, emergency fund is not your 401k. Oh, it's no. not your money you got invested in the market. Right. It's not the money you got. Emergency fund means that, hey, if I need to write a check for something, I can write a check within 24 hours. Right, right. And typically what I tell everybody starting off is you need at least uh, three to $5,000 actually um, in your emergency fund. Mm. A lot of people don't believe me, but 2017 Market Watch report, I got it up right here. 19% of people working Americans have 0%, 0%, zero saved to cover the emergency expenses. 31% have less than $500. And it's not surprising, it says right here, 49% of Americans are concerned, anxious, or fearful of their current financial well-being. So it's something like 69% of people can't cover a $1,000 emergency. So wow. what they say is... That's what the credit card's for. Right, right. right. But here's the thing. If you ain't had $1,000 the month prior, you're not going to have the $1,000 this month. This month. And that's my point. You got too much month and not enough money. Okay. Mm. I think I've done that before. <laughs> I ain't calling you out. <laughs> not that I real. think about it. I think I mean, I've we, done we, that. We just going to call you out. Right. Real, so, you know? you know, credit cards are not for emergencies at all. Right. Um. So now I want to like kind of talk about like getting into the business. Like one of the things about the business that I'm trying to get in, which is like media doing like uh, videography, you know, me and the girl are doing a lot of things with her photography, trying to help her finance those things. Mm-hmm. And so in the process of creating business, a lot of times when you establish something that you actually love to do, it's not a big market for it. It's right. usually just something that makes you happy. And you do whatever you can to, you know, live in those moments where you're doing what you actually love. Mm-hmm. So in those positions where it doesn't yield a lot of return, it's more or less a passion project. Like what are things that you can do as far as finance to make sense of making these, you know, sometimes they can be frivolous investments. Right. You know, what can you do to like maximize those finances in those periods where you're just doing something because you love it okay good question lose a lot of sleep that's the, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the joking way you do it like like grind right grind right, hustle right. stuff like that mm-hmm. so for example you know you like you say you watch some of my youtube videos when we opened up right mm-hmm. so i got cameras i got lenses i got a bag full of stuff sitting right there, right right, right. 
So <clears throat> I look at how I can leverage whatever I'm doing in more relationships. Mm-hmm. So we'll use the example of media. Okay. That, you know, that promotional stuff that you're doing, that could lead into different partnerships, different right, brand right. recognition, brand deals and things like that. So still that future potential. That future potential. Future potential. But let's just say, for instance, we got a person that needs some money now, mm-hmm. right? Start looking in the industries that pe- in, in people that are pay for your services. Find your tribe is what we call it. Like, find what people are willing to pay for what it is that you do. Okay. I guarantee you there's some way there's somebody out there that pay for what you do. I mean, I mean, they got they got this they got people that call cuddlers, right? Oh, yeah. They right. get they That's get paid right. by an hour to come cuddle with somebody. <laughs> like, you know, and maybe if I was a little bit more friendly with people that might be my deal or something, but right. you know, I ain't cuddling with nobody. Right, exactly. But somebody's gonna pay for it. Right. Now you might have to get in the market, you might have to network, you might mm-hmm. have to get on Facebook, you might have to get in Facebook groups. There's a Facebook group for everything that you can possibly think of. I believe it. Search it, get in there, network with people, and find out what people are willing to pay for. Right. Now, with financing a deal, what I tell everybody this, and this is more strategy, so this, so get your pens and paper because I'm about to drop the bomb right here, right? <laughs> I'm about to, about to give you guys. Hey, the, we need it all. <laughs> I'm about to give you the wealthy secret sauce right here. Um, so if you're working a W two job and you're trying to finance your business, right? Mm-hmm. There's something that you can leverage, and it's called a home-based business. Okay. Okay. So running a home-based business can literally cut your taxes by 20, 30, 40, maybe even 50% or more. Wow. So, for example, I have a young lady right now that, that's um, building a company called the Health and Wealth Company. She started partnering with me, learning how to do some things with finances. Now, even though she worked her job, what the government says is if you're running a home-based business, you start qualifying for a bunch of tax deduction that you don't get when you're working a job. Okay. So now with that with that ideology, you kind of operate a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. So you can actually leverage the expenses in your business against your job's income, pay less taxes, and then you take the money that was formerly going to Uncle Sam, mm-hmm. and you take that money and then drop it into your business. Yeah, your business. That makes sense. And that's what we call like a strategy. So she saved approximately like 1100 bucks a month. No. What that's 11, a nice return. 1100 bucks a month. Now she she got a higher income but saving 1100 bucks a month, now she got money that she can invest in her business and build to that grind stage. Right. So right. she's buying her equipment. She she bought her lighting setup uh for her video. She bought her new computer. She she bought her marketing material. She paid for the LLC fees and stuff like mm-hmm. that out of money that was formerly going to go to the government. government. Right. Since most people are working a job and building a business on the side, you leverage those two processes and you drop it. You, you leverage those two strategies, building the business and leveraging tax deductions, you start freeing up money. So just think about it like I tell everybody a simple, simple thing. If you're building a business, working a job right now, how much money would you save if you can cut your taxes by half or even a quarter? Mm. Would that be money that you could put into yeah. your business? Yeah, definitely could. And here's how the Uncle Sam gonna let you do it, bro. They say if you spend money in your business, we're gonna give you another tax deduction on top of that. So mm. not only so not only can I project what I'm gonna do, it's in black and white, it's in the IRS publication, black and white. It says make an estimate of what you're gonna spend, then you can take that money you're spending in your business and still get the tax deduction on it. You were still going to buy the microphones. You were still going to buy the sound card. You were still going to buy the computer. <laughs> but now it's a tax deduction. Man, talk to me like I'm stupid. I'm just saying, dude. So, like, when you do that, 
you can, you know, a lot of people say, well, James, you know, you always get the new iPhone. Yeah, because my business pay for it. Oh, wow. Yo, you got the new MacBook. Yeah, because my business pay for it. The government says that if I'm using communications tools, it's actually it's actually a subject that talks about communications uh-huh. that you can make. You can get tax deduction for all that stuff. Wow. Whether it be depreciated or you take it up front. So free knowledge. I'm, I'm, just, oh, I'm just giving it to you. I'm giving it to your listeners, man. This, that's this, definitely up my alley. Talk. That's definitely up my alley because that's what we do. You know, we do all different types of communication. So it's definitely something to look into. Um when I get into these ideas of, you know, what I need to spend, it's always like certain things that to most people are frivolous. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, like a $2,500 laptop like me. Yeah. Like <laughs> people will tell you, you know, well, why would you spend 2500 on a MacBook when you can just get this Hewlett Packard? Mm-hmm. But you just don't understand that this MacBook, you know, takes away so many stresses on you know everything that you do from latencies and Mm -hmm. all this different cpu crap that you go through so they don't really see it like we see it you know i want to get to a point where i can understand like collateral Mm -hmm. like the things that are actually worth what you pay for Mm -hmm. because you can easily get caught up in you know being a a person who loves jewelry and you're buying a lot of diamonds, right? but you're getting all of this custom jewelry that kind of depreciates after you make all of the modifications. Then you get like the cars and you, you put in all these different, you know, radios and mm-hmm. you know, all of these different technology pieces to make your ride or your trip a lot more easier, but it takes away from the actual car. Right. Like, so what forms of collateral are good to have? When you think about business and finance, anything I, I break it down as simple as this, right? You say talk to you like stupid, right? Mm-hmm. We break it down as simple as like this: you got liabilities and you got assets, right? Right, right. Liabilities take money out of your po- pocket; assets put money into your, your pocket, pocket, generate okay. income. So anything that you can have that generates money is what you want to go for. Okay. So a car is definitely a liability. Right. Oh, okay. No matter how much you cut and slice it, yeah, it takes you point A to point B to get you to work and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yes, you need it, but at the end of the day, you're still paying insurance. You're still paying. Um, you're still paying a car note on it. You're right, still right. paying interest on it. If you're leasing, you still got lease payment. You still got repairs, stuff like right, that. Right. So there's still money going out for that, which I count that as a liability. Even if you drive an Uber or anything like that, you're still paying for your vehicle. Right. But now, let's just say, for instance, you got something that's like an asset. Let's say. You got a camera, for example, right? Mm-hmm. We'll use media. You got a camera and, you know, you upgrade it to another camera. Mm-hmm. Well, you might rent out your older camera to somebody who's a photographer oh, wow. who don't have the equipment. Wow, that makes sense. So you might charge a day rate on, a day rate on that. Mm-hmm. So when people say, you know, oh, well, I've just spent $2,500 on this piece of technology. Well, because I can make some money off of it in the future. future. You mm-hmm. ought to always be thinking like an entrepreneur. Right. Mm-hmm. And people, people would, would rather rent. We're, we're in a day and age of subscription and written. Mm-hmm. And people would rather, rather rent stuff and buy subscriptions to it than just to buy it outright. Right. Right. So if I'm the person that owns the camera, I'm pretty sure I can loan it out to people for 20, 30, 40, $50 a day. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a good way. So I look at anything that can generate me money, um, as far as on an ongoing basis. 
Mm-hmm. That would be the assets that I would be going So for. every time I get a person that tells me I'm frivolous with my money, I'm going to say my camera costs, well, my camera means more than your car. Right, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> One dollar being made into the house is better than a dollar leaving the house, house. right? Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's just what you what you do for it. And, it, and it's all about potential, right? Right, right. It's how what's going to make your life easier, your business easier, and make you more efficient. Mm. I actually didn't know this, but when it comes down to um, like videography and media, I just learned this recently that there's there's day booking rates, and it's certain people that get booked because they have extra equipment. Meaning that if one camera goes down, right, oh, okay. you can charge somebody more because I got two cameras, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's all assets, right? It's assets. how you do it. It's how you do it. Yeah, so assets and liabilities. Mm-hmm. Now, when we get into, um, because we touched on how, you know, owning a business with the tax deductions and things can, you know, definitely improve what you, you know, save as far as like the return on your money. Mm-hmm. When you go into, like status symbolism, right. like um, people who have the money to spend on the cars, the watches, all of these different things. A lot of times that mind, that mindset kind of transitions you into relationships because it makes you look as if mm-hmm. you got money. Right. You know, you you got the the stuff that everybody wants and then now you're on the market, you know, got your own business, educated. Mm-hmm. You look like you got money, but as you were stating in the beginning of the show, like you had all of the credential in the world but nothing in the bank. Right. Status symbolism is probably one of the biggest issues for minorities. Right. You know that we see every day, you know, the people that are on top of the world and now they don't have nothing and now it's a behind the music mm-hmm. telling the story like how do you like how do you make those type of investments and be smart about it because i mean i know that everybody just wants their piece mm-hmm. of whatever their pie is whatever that makes you happy you might just be a person that likes shiny things how can you be smart about those things too right that's a good good point it's very simple bro and i'm about to break it mm-hmm. down have your assets pay for your toys Mm. Have your investments mm. and your assets pay for the toys. Okay. So, for example, you're a business owner. You're out here successful. You're doing what you got to do, right? Mm-hmm. You might invest. Your business might invest, you know, or you might invest, take a salary, whatever. Invest, say, $500,000, right? Okay. Into what we like to call, um, you know, into some type of um, municipal bond fund or even a money market fund mm-hmm. or even um, some 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 type of small liquid kind of liquid asset okay. that don't requires a lot of maintenance okay so one of the funds I invest in uh, with T-Roy price you know it got me like 16 and no, a little bit less than that now it's probably it's probably it's double digit percent returns mm-hmm. right but let's just say for instance you know if a person put a hundred thousand dollars in there over time, Right now they're getting ten percent. Well, that's a hundred thousand dollars in income. You income. Oh, seriously, ten thousand dollars in income you got. Oh, in. right. Ten yeah, percent right. on a hundred thousand. Okay. So that ten thousand dollars, you know, that you got coming in from your asset. You know, okay, you want to go buy, you know, the submarine Rolex with that, do it. Okay, right, right. You didn't lose the principal. You didn't mm-hmm. need the cash flow. This is extra cash flow. Mm-hmm. And if you just gotta have the Rolex, then go buy it. You know, yeah. you see what I'm saying. So right. get it to a point to where your assets. Pay for your liabilities. Right, right. 
You right. know what I'm saying? That's that's the key. Get your assets paid for the liabilities. Get the money set up to where it generates passive income. And if you want to blow it, then okay. But you got those assets to back it up. So where would you like? Where would you suggest people go for this type of to further this knowledge that like you're giving on this podcast? Because it's not very many places. Mm-hmm. I'm sure for a lot of people to go to like actually learn and get the actual literacy they need to where their their like most minuscule question gets answered. Like where would you suggest people start for the education in that process? I'm a shameless plug, but we're gonna do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can go to www. Um, actually, if you want just straight information, www.begreatmoney.com. That's b e g r e a t money.com. That's my website. Putting your information, hey. you get on my list, and then uh, we're there. But all seriousness, um, what a person needs to do is um, start researching and start finding out the information. Mm-hmm. Understand that. Understand that there's a lot of stuff out here and everybody's an expert, but not many people are actually doing it. Right, so right. my school of thought is very aggressive, it's crushing it, it's being hard, it's making the decisions, it's investing in businesses, it's pushing sales, it's pushing marketing. My, my strategy ain't for everybody. Right, right. But you might have somebody who wants a little bit more of a softer hand, right? Not to smack in the face, not to wake yourself up. Mm-hmm. So what I'll say is start going out there and researching different different avenues and different financial profession professionals who are backed up with what they're saying. Okay. I mean, they're doing or they did what you want to do. Mm-hmm. The worst advice you can get from a person is the worst the worst advice you can ever get in life is taking money advice from a broke person. Right, right, true. That's true. the worst advice you can possibly get. Don't take business advice for somebody who don't have a business. Right. And don't take health advice from nobody who's not in shape. It's just how it breaks down. Right. But start researching, start searching. I challenge you to learn the best way you learn. Mm-hmm. Whether that's video, okay. hop on YouTube. Whether that's audio, get on Audible. Okay. Whether that's reading, get yourself some books. And I can admit it, like, you know, every time I get an extra $50, I'm going to spend it on myself because I feel like I've been struggling to make it. I deserve it. I deserve it. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? But then I also, you know, deserve financial security Mm -hmm. and, you know, prosperity, too. But like kind of getting back to um, the high standards and finances when it comes to relationships, because we always hear a man is supposed to pay a woman should do this. Like we have these preconceived notions that we should be able to dictate a person's financial. Um, well, not even that, because now that I'm thinking about it, most people are actually looking for disposable income. Right. So you can spend the money on the things that I will want my man to do for me, mm-hmm. or you can have the money to, you know, get me more than some socks on Father's Day. Like you really want a person to have disposable income and very few people have that. Right. So in a relationship, if you're just in dating phase, you've been with a person six months, what type of financial questions should you inquire about in the dating process that doesn't come off as being too pushy or you too much in my business? Because we do need to have this conversation early before we six months in and it's like, oh, well, you ain't got no money. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Great question, man. Um, and the whole thing on Instagram, well, if a guy sit down, I'm going to ask him what his credit score is before you get my number. Like, that, it ain't, <laughs> I, ain't, I ain't out there that bold. <laughs> but truth be told, what I find is, though, of how to gauge where a person is with their money mm-hmm. is I kind of ask, you know, how is your family with money? You know, I kind of find out, I kind of find out what, and this is even with clients too, I kind of find out what's their, what's their relationship with money. Mm-hmm. So you might bring up an example. You might say something like the CEO of this corporation made like $5 million this year, man. That's awesome, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You might say something like that. They said, well, no money. That's too much money for one person to make. You know, then I kind of think like, okay, this person here. Is probably not the they 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 don't they don't like money and they usually don't like money because they don't understand they money. Not, they don't understand. So it. one thing you can use you can use parallelism with it, or you can ask and have an honest guy conversation with them. You can say, hey, you know, I'm thinking about going back to school, mm-hmm. right? But I'm I'm kind of waning on the financial perspective. On one hand, I feel as though it can help me out, but on the other hand, I think I'm going to be riddled with this debt. Mm-hmm. And if they're like, well, don't go back to school if you're ever going to have any debt, then I think they're a pretty frugal person. No, oh, you know, okay. have conversations of real life, of real life um, examples, and really seek their input and feedback on it, and that way you can get a gauge. Now, you can. I ask a question with my clients all the time, and I just say, well, how well are you at keeping appointments? They said, well, I keep my appointments pretty well. I said, okay, well, how well are you with keeping dates? They said, well, I keep my dates pretty well. They said, well, how well are you are with, you know, taking care of your business and making sure that, you know, you got things and stuff needs to be mailed in mm-hmm. and things like that. They said, well, I do that pretty well. Then I'm pretty much confident they probably pay their bills on time. On time. Right, right. If they're not that person, they're not organized, ain't no way you're doing it. So you have to develop a, a conversation, mm-hmm. you know, which... I mean, it sounds pretty remedial, but I think that that's ultimately what we're lacking, even in, you know, finances when it comes to dating. I think that, like, we set our expectations or we set our principles upon where he took me on the date. Right. Now, you know, people that I know, and this is no shot because it does show the potential in a relationship. I've been the guy that had to save for a date. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like the impression that I wanted to place upon the woman, I wanted to take her to somewhere decent. And then I also felt like I deserved the meal that comes from this restaurant. But I don't I don't think that people well, I'm not. Yeah, I'm going to leave it at people because I'm not going to say women. Mm -hmm. Um, People don't consider that a lot of times, you know, those are financial investments too. those dates that you go on and. Those different places that he or she takes you to, those are investments. Right. And you expect a return on those investments. Right. And it gets tricky because everybody is just expecting what they expect, not realizing that a person is investing in you. Right. And we have to look at, like, we have to look at life as a finance too. Like, look at the finances of your life. Like, mm-hmm. what makes you happy? Is it just the fact that he's in a certain tax bracket? Is it just because she carries a certain type of bag. Like, what does this all mean at the end of the day? Right. If, in fact, you're not asking the responsible questions. If I do have disposable income, are you just going to throw it in the trash? Right. Right. Yeah. And that's the big thing, right? What? 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 Are, and as you're kind of going through dates and kicking it with people, mm-hmm. you know, 
you, you kind of, as you're getting serious with somebody, you start having those conversations about, okay, what does your future entail? Right, right. Do you just wing it? Or do you, you know, are you just a, a wing it type of person? Mm-hmm. Or are you just, you know, you so worried about the next day and having the next dollar that even if you're super conservative and too focused on your money, you're so afraid to lose it, you're never going to invest it or take a chance. Right, right, so you right. can be on totally two different opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. You've got to find that out. And that's huge. You know? Right. And, um, I mean, we're going we gonna to touch on marriage. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. Let, me, so let me go there. Right. So true, <laughs> true story. I'm a married man, happy married man. Right. Hey. Listen. Go to marriage counseling, <laughs> premarital counseling, right? And find out, because they can ask you this question in marriage counseling. Mm-hmm. They Premarital counseling, let me be clear. Don't, it's, counseling sucks when you go after the problems have started. So go oh. before, right? So right. we went to premarital counseling. We sat down with the pastor. They gave us um, several books to read and go. We had homework the whole nine, right? Mm-hmm. They asked the question. Who's better with money? Mm-hmm. Now, because we've been open and stuff like that, we've been together for a while. Obviously, you know, James is one better with money. Mm-hmm. Right. They ask who's better with like the family. That's Crystal. OK. You know, they ask who's better with this? Who's better with that? And then they ask the question, well, since you admitted that this person is better, will you yield to their guidance on this particular subject? Mm hmm. That's a huge thing that so many people miss. I work with so many married people, com- married people, and one spouse is not on the same page as the other spouse. Mm-hmm. One spouse trying to save and invest, the other spouse trying to trying to spend the money. Right, right. The other spouse see the money in the bank, they think it's oh we got extra money to do this. Well, really, that's not the case. Right. See, think about it. If I say that your emergency fund, just your emergency fund, need to be three to five thousand dollars. And you focus on that and you get there, the other spouse is thinking, well, that's a trip to, you know, wherever. You know, that's yeah, extra this, yeah. that's extra that. They're going to be trying to get into the money. It creates discord and you're just not on the same page. Right. So I think at that level, when you're talking marriage and being together for the rest of your life, you've got to ask the hard question. Mm-hmm. Listen, who's better at this subject? Well, if you're better at the subject, then it's your responsibility to take care of the money. Right. And you have to do that. That's because that's actually one of my goals. And like, um, getting married is—I mean, getting married to me is like the epitome or the idea of beautiful. Like, I mm-hmm. think you know, coming together is a wonderful thing. But finances is always a hindrance, mm-hmm. and you get those people who will tell you, "Oh, well, you ain't gonna never have it all the way together when you get married." Yeah, that's true. All right. But I still want a, a certain level of financial comfort. And we don't look at the fact that, oh, the reason why we're not married is because we don't have that emergency fund. Yeah. We don't look at the fact that, okay, here your lady is trying to start a boutique mm-hmm. and you flushed a lot of money into getting the upstart, but there's no return. Right. And you want to make sure that certain things in order because, of course, this is what makes her happy. Right. She wants to be happy in her business. She's not quite there yet. So like investing more money into a certain phase of a relationship that may not even improve or mm-hmm. decline, you know, anything in the relationship sometimes play like big factors. So like when you go to that that place in your relationship where you get the counseling and then you find out, OK, the woman is better 
with the money. But she's also the person that, like you said, wants to go on the trips. She's expecting to, you know, some of the money to be used on her happiness. Is it smart to have the joint accounts up front or like should there be a separate account where you have one together, but you're still maintained in your individual finance? Is that because a lot of times when you like refuse bringing everything together like money, mm-hmm. a lot of times that's where the discord comes in because it's like a trust issue yeah. somewhere there. So is it smart to just establish that one joint account, but then still have your own personal finances? Right. And that's 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 a great point. And what I always do when I when I get that question a lot, when I help people restructure is it's personal. Personal mm. finance is personal. I mean, right. it's a smart Alec answer, but it depends on, you know, how how those people interact with. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it's important to have at least a joint checking account. Okay. You know, I do think you should have that because it just makes the house so much easier, right? You don't okay. have to worry about, oh, did you pay the bill? Are you paying this time? Or let me pay this time? Or, you know, hey, I, I lost my card this week. Let me use yours. I got to go to the store, right? It's all right. the same money. Right. right? And it's a level of honesty that goes along with there. Mm-hmm. I think psych- psychologically, if you have a joint account and you are a person that's typically a little bit frivolous with your money, you will be, you will question yourself a second, question yourself if, you know, somebody else is looking at it. Right, so right. I do believe there's a level of accountability there that if you don't have yourself, you can't leverage that to use it. Right. The second thing is, is that I think it just makes it easier. And as I tell so many people, make a decision and stick with it. Right. right. Don't flip flop. Don't bounce back and forth because you think he doing something he ain't got no business doing. You think she doing something he got no business doing. Y'all say y'all got separate accounts. Have the separate accounts. But just remember that if it's separate accounts out of necessity because this person won't change, then you guys didn't establish at the beginning of what the expectations of right, are. Right. Because that was actually my next question. You know, um, should a person's financial history be a turnoff like because you know we all have experienced some type of financial crisis um a lot of us are still dealing with financial illiteracies Mm -hmm. like should that be should that constitute as a turnoff i'm joking but the reason why i say that is um there's two different things like i said your Credit, your money, that's your adult report card, right? Mm-hmm. We spend 40 plus hours every week working for a piece of paper. Let's just call a spade a spade. We spend the majority of our lives working for this thing called cash and money mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So if you can't somehow, you know, step up to the plate on that, then it might actually be a turnoff, especially if I got goals and dreams and you just out here living your best life. Mm-hmm. Now, do I hold it against somebody? No. Because we go through kindergarten to the 12th grade, we never taught anything about money. Mm-hmm. You can go to school, get multiple degrees, you're not going to learn anything about money. So I don't hold it against the person. But I think the fact that you're not wanting to change is the big turnoff right. for a lot of people. Because now you become enlightened and focused on money, and this person ain't got no interest. It's a, it's a big turnoff. Right. It's just like somebody's spiritually enlightened and somebody's not. They, they just don't mix. They don't, they they don't, don't mix. mix well. Yeah. So it is a turnoff for most people, and it should be a turnoff because if it doesn't mess with where you're trying to go, there's no point of dragging somebody with you. Right. Now, one of the biggest turnoffs that we see in the decline in marriage is that 
for most men that I encounter, the marriage is a huge investment. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when those marriages are not successful, men look at the the money they had to put into the relationship that, of course, they end up losing just to have to do it all over again. And, you know, possibly buy another ring for another woman, mm -hmm. um, pay for another wedding. All of these things that seem to, you know, come from just trying to find the one. So mm -hmm. even a relationship looks like a debt. Right. So like for men, like how do you avoid being in a position to where you even look at love, which I believe to be a necessity mm -hmm. as looking at, well, looking at it as a debt. Right. I can't even, there's so many stories I got about that, but mm -hmm. I know we get limited times. So I can't drop, I can't <laughs> drop a bunch, but I will say this, like I tell everybody, right? I look at two different things, especially when it comes down to relationships, right? Mm -hmm. Money and time. Right. Money can always be replaced. Time cannot. Right. However, when it comes down to the investment of saying, okay, I'm talking about courting another female, right? Mm -hmm. I got dates. I'm expecting, you know, we're getting serious. Now I'm expecting rings and all the stuff like that. I want to be a man's man. I'm taking, you know, mm -hmm. I want to be a man's man. You got to think about for yourself is how much is that actually worth to you? Right. And for me, there's really no price you can put on there because I enjoy being married. Mm -hmm. I enjoy being in a relationship. Yeah. Even though I might not be the best at communicating love and all that stuff like that, I enjoy the companionship of knowing right. I got somebody got my back. Mm. I'm a lot to deal with. Me too. But I'm a lot to deal with. So when I'm when I got that and I'm I'm with there. Now for guys who are let's say it kinda didn't work out. Learn from your mistakes and learn how to piece yourself back together. Mm -hmm. Now, if you went through one marriage and it didn't work out and you got hit really hard financially, get yourself right first before you start to move on. Okay. And then the second thing you can do, there is actions that can come into play. If you meet that woman that's also on your level, right? Because most typically what, what ends up happening is that if the first marriage don't work out the best, usually they're a bit more mature. And usually looking for a more mature person. Right, right. So if you do have the wealth and you do have the money, then a woman, in most cases, who's also successful, understands the fact of having uh, financial prenups in place to protect mm. yourself. But if they're on the same level. Right, right. You follow what I'm saying? Now, like I tell most people, since most people are broke, you don't need to be worrying about no pre-dub. Y'all both, both just at the bottom together. Build each other up. Right, but now, right. if you are a person coming with a, with $2 million net worth, you are accredited investors, you got portfolios, and, and unfortunately, she has nothing, then you might want to protect yourself there. And vice versa for the women, too. That does apply to them, too, as well. Mm -hmm. So how you can get yourself set up is just being a financial steward with your money. Having those assets outweigh those liabilities. Okay. So when things go belly up, those assets got you, got you covered. I got you covered. And it's not so much of a loss because it was just there for that reason. If you got, if you build a business and you're bringing in three, four, five, six, seven thousand dollars a month, right? Mm. Residually or even more on leverage, right? You got a business that generates your income. Unless you guys was partners in there, it's extremely hard for that business just to be taken away from you. Now, you might have to pay alimony, 
mm-hmm. but you still got your business. And I can control my business. I can ramp up production. I can ramp up sales. I can bring on more staff. I can grow and scale my business. Right? Mm-hmm. Too many times we're, we're focused on the small stuff and it's, it's kind of all small stuff. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I had people coming to me talking about, well, I got $6,000 in the bank. I want to protect myself. Listen, dude, you're going to blow through that $6,000 like it ain't nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, where's yeah. the assets at? That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. That's just the never had nothing mentality, though. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I get that. It's it's so many things that um I think of because one of the ways that I, I went into the whole with credit and finances mm-hmm. was a relationship. But that was simply because I wasn't necessarily like educated on what it meant to actually be the man right. of the house. Now, in some instances, we always hear men say, you know, well, you know, my woman don't pay any of the bills. I pay all of the bills because I'm the man. Right. Now, it's a lot of guys that would love to live up to that expectation, but just don't have it. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think if, in fact, you are the man of your house and you're able to pay all of the bills? What should the woman be doing with her money since she's not paying any of the bills? You're just trying to get me to step in it, right? No, I'm just asking the questions because I think that we need to set some type of expectation because that is a part of your income if it's inside of your home. Right. And you made a good point if you're able to. Right. It's such a minority of those who are able to, to do it by themselves. Right. All right. Um, what I what I believe, and this is just the honest to God truth, I'm kinda old school with that. I think mm-hmm. that the guy should pay the bulk majority of the, the bills mm-hmm. if you have the wherewithal to do it, right? Right, right. Um, however, you know, there's things that women could do that, you know, bring into place. Number one, I work with so many women, they're always going to put up money for themselves in an account that you don't know about. Because right. women enjoy stability. They, they relish in stability. They want that stability. And I don't know if you're going to be knuckleheaded or not and do something right, they got to right. take care of. So, fellas, don't get mad if your wife got the account on the side. Be happy that she's doing something mm-hmm. like that to protect you guys. That's the first thing. Yeah. So, I believe anything. if you're paying the majority of the major bills, then anything else that needs to be picked up should be there. Um, grocery stuff like that. I, I believe that the that the um, entertainment aspect, you know, that might be the responsibility of the woman. Or I believe if there's extra cash flow and you guys are both trying to build the business, then maybe those two things start funneling into things that make you more money. So right, right. it might be a position where you might spend say sixty to seventy percent of your in well, a little bit less. We'll say sixty to seventy percent of your income you might be spending on household. You know, you give your 10% to the Lord if you want to do that. And then you also keep saving 20% for yourself. Mm-hmm. Where her income might be, she's saving and investing 40% or 50% of her income. Mm-hmm. And then picking up some things along the side. Right, right. So those are things that you can kind of combine together to really be there. But unfortunately, where we live in right now, where people are at, you kind of... You, you kind of got to, everybody got to put in a decent amount. It's just how yeah. it works yeah. out, you know? That's just the truth. Because it's always been, um, it's always been an issue for men to establish that they need help. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, and even if that's just financially with, you know, building your credit or just saying, I need my woman to help me, right. you know, like be there for the purpose of being a helpmate. Right. And it's, it's e- like a lot of us have egotistical debt. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you only in debt because you just wouldn't say, 
I need help right. or you know babe take it's, a look at this and te- you yeah. know what I'm saying so it's a lot of stuff that we like kind of like step in just because we didn't want to speak up and say I don't quite know what I know what I should do about these things mm-hmm. and of course in a relationship I believe that while you're getting to know a person establish that okay look I got some financial issues Right. Like while we in the like process of getting to know each other, just say it. Look, we all got our issues. I'm going through a bankruptcy. I'm going through this. I'm going through that. Just put it on the table because what I also find is that by the time you already made those joint investments of co-signing things for each other, you probably financed your wedding. Mm-hmm. Then you find out, okay, well, this person is terrible right. financially or this person doesn't have, a, you know, a gauge on how to be timely right. or, you know, those type of things always come up. So I definitely think that in a relationship, the communication financially definitely has to be there. But I just think that we're so ashamed to say that we broke. Yeah. And, and that's the pride too, right? That's the pride that come in with it. And, you know, we always say we want a chick to hold us down, but then when it's time to hold us, when it's really time for them to hold us down, we don't want to say that, yeah. you know? Right, right. And one key thing I, one key thing I, I, it's 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 gonna sound so simple and so straightforward, but I'm kind of an old school guy, right? Mm-hmm. The men, I always say this, right? Men take care of the household right. because you know if your woman gets pregnant, she can't work. Right. She shouldn't be working, right. right? Right. And even just as simple as that, like you, you both, but she's been, but it, let's say for instance, it comes to that point to where you guys are having a ch- child or raising mm-hmm. a young baby. Right, if she's been putting money aside, then it might needs to be used to supplement while she while she's focused on the children. Mm-hmm. Now, I do I agree that parents should both be there in the household. They should be working together and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But the mama got like food in her body for the baby, right? That's right. just something we can't do as men. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so she's going to be with the baby, right? Mm-hmm. She's going to be with the child. She's going to be with the infant. And it comes to a point to where she physically might not can work just because of biology and the way that life works. Right, There's right. Nothing we can do about that. Right. Just accepting that responsibility. Um, there's there's a transition from a relationship where you start to talk about ownership of a home. Mm-hmm. And in those phases, for, for most of us, we all kind of, you know, transition into those steps our own way, whether... We decided to get married, you know, however we finance the wedding, you have to, you know, get those funds back in order after the wedding and the honeymoon. Some folks, you know, go down to the courthouse. They just take the easier way. It's all in how you choose to deal with it. But when owning a home, it seems to only be one way, like only one way to like step into that. You typically have to like have some type of capital. Mm-hmm. And then you go to a broker, they give you all of this information, they tell you about the first time buyer programs and all these different things. Mm-hmm. And it sounds exciting that a person to give you X amount of dollars to establish you, but they still want you to have some money. Right. You know, so when you get to the point where you want to establish some home ownership, what type of things need to be in place from all of the stages we talked about mm-hmm. once? Okay. You might still have a little bit of debt from student loans. You might, you know, might not be bringing in very much from your business. 
still going through the different, you know, trials and, you know, triumphs in your relationship. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's time for you to make a transition into owning your home. Right. Like what type of things need to be in order from the previous things that we mentioned before you decide to move in together and purchase that house? Great question. I break it down into simple steps. Mm -hmm. First step is, boom, you need to have the cash flow coming in so you don't have so you don't have more month. You have money. Okay. So you, you're kind of okay on the income side. Of right. Thing. Second thing is that beginner's emergency fund has to be set up three to five thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Do not buy a home with that you, money. With that money, this is you need to have this just sitting aside. Okay. Third thing is you need to be investing at least five uh, percent of your income into retirement. Okay. At least, if you can put the maximum, you should put the maximum, but no less than five percent. Okay. So let's say, for instance, you work a job. You know, you put five percent in, they match you up to five percent, you got ten percent of your annual income going towards your retirement. Okay. You have to do that. The um fourth thing is eliminate all consumer debt. Mm. All consumer debt. What is that considered to be? That's any debt outside the mortgage. Okay. So that's car loans, student loans, credit cards, payday loans, anything that you got, get rid of the consumer debt. Okay. Right? And then the um fifth thing is if you're not paying car notes, if you're not paying student loans, you could probably max out your retirement, right? Mm. So max out your retirement. Right, right. And then the next step is build a full emergency fund that's three to six months of living expenses. Oh, okay. So if it costs you 3K to live, your bare minimums, 3K to live, that's, that's your housing, that's your utilities, that's your food, that's your basic entertainment. No, no spurgeon, but if it costs you 3K to live a month, then you need at least 9K to 18K. You need at least three to six months. I would say if you're looking at buying a home, err on that six-month side. Oh, All right? okay, okay. Then, only then, you can start building towards buying your home. See, think about it like this. If I got rid of the credit cards, the student loans, the auto loans, right? Mm-hmm. If I got my emergency fund set aside, I got money in the bank, now I can start building me a down payment for a house pretty quickly. Right, right. Think about it like this. Average auto loan is what, 400 bucks? Mm-hmm. So you got two people in the house. Usually paying a car note. We'll say that's $700 right there. Right. Student loans, they want at least 1% on what you got every mm-hmm. single month. Mm-hmm. So if you owe $30,000, which most people owe more than that, we'll right. say 30 k Right. You know, that's 300 bucks right there. That's $1,000 right there. Right, right. Right. And then you also got the other expenses that you have there that's probably going to become cheaper as you're now getting out of debt and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So most people got fifteen $1,500 to almost $2,000 that they can start building towards there, right? Since you got a full emergency fund, maybe you're not saving as much anymore. I always pay myself first as me personally, mm-hmm. but you might not be putting $500 in your savings now because you got six months of an emergency fund set right, aside. Right. So now that might be another 500 bucks. Now, when you start talking about building up to a down payment, it might take you, you know, a year and a half, maybe even two years to come. And you don't have to do the first time buyer, little, little things like that. You can actually go in, get your conventional mortgage because you've got cash on hand mm-hmm. right now. You can you can might even, you know, step up to the plate a little bit more with dictating and negotiating because now you got cash. Okay. Right? Right, right. So you got twenty, thirty thousand dollars set aside for the house you want to buy. Mm-hmm. You might take twenty of that, use that for a down payment, 
right? Let's say you bought a hundred thousand dollar house, you put down the twenty percent, the two hundred, the twenty thousand dollars, right, right, and then take ten grand and just fr- ref- uh, just furnish your house. Mm-hmm. What we what we forget is that when we buy this new house, we're gonna need new furnishings, we're gonna mm-hmm. need appliances. Now you got cash to do all that stuff. You don't pick up debt, right? So right. now you go in the house, no debt, besides the mortgage, mm-hmm. right? Your car's about this time. Maybe you might need to get a new car. I don't know. You know, if you took care of it, you're fine. But now you got extra cash flow. You still got your maxed out retirements going. Mm-hmm. You still got your emergency fund that now moves over to this. You still got your cash coming in, mm-hmm. you know, that's not being siphoned off. And now you can start making some moves and paying off your house. And instead of 30 years or 15 years, you're paying off in five years. Right, right, years. right. You prolong the... You prolong the buying of the house for three to seven years to pay it off in five or six years as opposed to paying it off in 30, 30 years. Right, right. So that's back to taking it all the way back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. I look at the potential of time and money invested right. versus what's my return on what I have. Right. right. You break it down like that, you got to do it. Don't let the people asking, your family asking, when you going to buy a house? 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 When you give me some money, that's what I'm <laughs> until, until then, I'm working my plan. Right, right. Because here's the thing. I'm going to have money and buy my house and pay it off before you even pay your house off. And you've been in it for 10 years already. Yeah, true, true. That's bold thinking. But, you know, it's always been that. Like, it's always the family pressure. Mm-hmm. You know, when you get married, I can't afford to get married. They don't, right. you know, they not realizing that you working 60 hours for a reason. All you got to say is when you going to pay for it. <laughs> stop asking you. When you going to buy a house, when you going to pay for it. When you going to get a new car, when you going to pay for it. Like, that, my family know me. The first thing, they don't ask me about anything anymore because they know my answer is going to be when you pay for it. I, I, I got you. I'll do right. it today when you pay for it. <laughs> right. I hear you. That's, um, I mean, I think with buying a home, that's a big step. Too. Right. That's a really big step, you know. And outside of just the financial responsibility, it's like the upkeep. You know what I'm saying? Your like time, dude. Yeah. Your time, your time, your time. That's why I say you got to have your money together because you're going to be investing a lot of time. And we don't look at that stuff when we trying to level up in these relationships. So really, we should be like focusing on our finances so that we won't be unnecessarily stuck in these positions where something goes, pipes, busts in the house. And now you're stuck with trying to figure out how am I going to maintain the responsibility of the mortgage? Right. And then the repairs and all of these different liabilities that come. So. It's a lot of stuff that you said that I can apply to a relationship, Mm -hmm. like your relationship with money, like looking at how you spend your money, the relationship that you have with your companion. How are we with money? It's so much stuff that you can adjust financially to be greater with your money. Hashtag be great with your money. That's my motto. Right, man. You gave a lot of gems. One of the things that I do want to ask that we kind of didn't touch on um, in the conversation is the uh, the banking system. Mm-hmm. Like, what should you expect from a bank? Because we always hear, you know, the conversations and you can also touch on this too. Um, the conversation about the bank versus the credit union. Right. I've been a member of both from old, for over a decade each. And 
I don't believe they've done anything financially to help me improve on my finances. So what should you expect from your banking institution, whether it be a bank versus a credit union? Charge you fees. That's the only thing really to expect for them. Um, and I and I say that jokingly, but in all seriousness, great question. Um, with the banks, right? Mm-hmm. Understand number one, a bank is what a bank is a business. Mm-hmm. The objective of a business is to make money. money. Okay, credit unions do it a little bit better because they have ownership to their members. Usually, you own. Um, usually, as you are with the credit union, some of them, you know, you mm-hmm. are part of. The credit union, you might get perks and discounts and stuff like that that mm-hmm. helps you out along the way with being a part of them. But what the bank does is every dollar that you put in, they're going to loan it out nine times. That's oh. how that's how banks make money. They okay. leverage other people's money, which is our money and our assets that go to the bank. They're just not nice to say, hey, just bring us our, your money and let us hold on to it and we're going to keep it safe. No, they, that goes in their balance sheet. Oh, okay. And they use that to make money. Right. Now, Here's what the bank does, and this is this is going to be kind of a jab at the banks and the credit unions, but this is what they do. This is their business. They'll say, hey, come on down, invest with us. We got this safe, secure CD. Mm-hmm. Don't put your money in the market. We're going to pay you 1.2% on this CD. Leave your money with us for at least a year minimum, mm-hmm. and you're going to get 1% of your money. They sell this all day long. The problem is, is that they're going to take that money that you put into that CD and they're going to go invest it in the very market they said don't invest in because it's scary. They're going to make 12, 14, 15% off the deal, pay you the 1% mm-hmm. and keep the difference. They leverage your money. They're hedging your money to make money is what they're doing. Right, right. All banks do this. Anything that says a guarantee you 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 got to ask, okay, how are you guaranteeing me a rate of return? Because they got to get some rate of return. Right, right, right. So, from the banks, retail banking, and I include credit unions in that too, retail banking is nothing but a transaction house for you to make your life easier. That's all you need to expect from it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, that's basically it. As you build a relationship with them, you might be able to leverage auto loans if you need to make a move. You might even might even be able to leverage a mortgage with them and get a little bit off. But when it comes down to building wealth, mm-hmm. it has to either be with wholesale banks. That's and really that's not even building wealth. That's more preservation of wealth. Okay. So that's your vanguards, your T word prices, your fidelities, things like that. Some place you can go park your money where you can get. They're going to leverage your money and make money too, but you can at least park your money, get more of an interest rate that that gets that gets you past inflation, mm-hmm. preserves your capital, gives you a little bit of rate of return, and lets you accumulate. Okay. Your money just sitting in the bank, There, if you just got $100,000 sitting in a savings account at your local bank, they're probably going to pay you 0% or 0.1%. Mm. That's the most. But I can go park that $100,000 sale at Vanguard in the equity index or municipal bond fund, getting anywhere from four to eight percent. At least I'm getting some off of money sitting. Yeah, yeah. You see what I'm saying? So banks are what we call the fee business. Right? Okay. They're in the fee business. Right? There's a reason why, you know, they, they charge you a fee when you ain't got enough money, but when you got a lot of money in the bank, they just don't Char- seem to give right, you credit. Right. So what y'all really out here trying to do, <laughs> right? They trying to make this money and please their shareholders. Right, right. 
that's basically what it is. Think of it as a transaction house to make your life easier. And with the advent of online banking, things like, um, you know, Square, um, Cash App, mm-hmm. PayPal, they've been disrupting the banking industry for years. Wow. For years. And it's just getting better and better and better and better. You know, um, you can literally run all your banking needs that you need off an of online bank on your phone. Wow. Like, it's, what, let me ask you this question. When was the last time you really been inside of your bank? Inside of my primary uh, bank, because I have, uh, I just established two accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, what I decided to do was I wanted to separate my um, business finance from my personal. Yeah, now that makes sense. That right. makes sense. And before then, before you did that. Never. That's my point. Right. There, it's not even like the 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 cycle the psychological factor used to be where you come down to the bank you see somebody you feel the cash you talk to them you can mm. talk to your local that that doesn't even exist anymore right right so I expect zero for them <laughs> but to charge me some fees on something you know that's just the bottom line right right yeah that makes sense I think um what I I was trying to establish with doing um you know it, I guess creating the secondary account. Because I did want to see the differences between the two institutions because I never really compared them both. Mm-hmm. So um, I went, matter of fact, uh, two weeks ago, I went down, um, established a checking in the savings account. And I just asked the banker, I said, what is it that um, you can do for me mm-hmm. versus what it says in this pamphlet? And I took the uh, Citizens Bank pamphlet. Mm-hmm of all of the things that they say that they're going to do. And um, just off of the conversation, the guy just started, you know, pulling out a bunch of stuff. And he was telling me, oh, we offer car insurance now. We're doing this and we're doing that. So I'm like, okay, well, at least the presentation Mm -hmm. is a lot greater than this bank that I've been with since I was 15 years old. But it's still not easily sold because once he got into, oh, well, once you get the car insurance, what you have to do is you have to call your insurance provider, get all this information, right. bring it here. Now it's just a hassle. Right. So it's like, well, what do you really expect your bank to do for you that takes away the hassle? Right. And it's like nothing. Nothing. And, and why y'all in the car insurance business anyway? I thought y'all was a bank. Were yeah. Y'all in the insurance industry now? Yeah. See, I ask those hard questions, right? right. Because that's just what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They they're trying and that's that proves my point. They're trying to figure out other ways to bring in other revenue because they're being disrupted because of technology. Right, right. And I'm not even getting we're not even getting on like crypto and all that stuff. We just oh, keeping yeah. it we just keeping it just <laughs> I'm talking about just online banking is disrupting them, causing banks to have to look for car insurance and all these other things. Like, bro, you're supposed to be a bank. That's your business. Mm-hmm. But like everything in business, time comes and it's changes. It's a reason why Kodak is no longer here. Right, right. So there it is. Right. So, man, thank you so much for, you know, kicking all of this knowledge. Definitely um, follow him on. Well, let me let him give all his information okay. because he got a ton. And all right, I don't all right. Screw it up. <laughs> I'm, 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 I try to keep it all common. So, right. So um, my name is James Z. Anderson. Mr. Be Great With Your Money. You guys can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. YouTube, and that's at I am JD Anderson. I A M J D Anderson, my name. Um, I'm pretty much out there on all social medias, keeping it with it. I'll kind of be on the Snapchat a little bit if you want to 
check us out there. Um, also, too, if you want any information talking about um, just what I do, you can just hop on my newsletter. You can go to BeGreatMoney.com. That's B-E-G-R-E-A-T Money.com. I send out a lot of information, a lot of testimonials, a lot of things that people are actually wanting with money because I like celebrating it with her. And of course, guys, um, you know, if you're out there on social media, hit me in the DMs. I'm usually pretty responsive. If you're in the metro Detroit area or if you're around, I do webinars. We can talk money. We can talk shop. And we can take it from there. Absolutely. Um, again, follow him on all of those uh, social media platforms that he mentioned. Definitely follow me at DergoBJ. It's D-E-R-G-O-B-J on all social media. You can find this show, Change the Subject, on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, Breaker, CastBox, and iHeartRadio. Definitely rate and subscribe. When you do that, it helps people find this great content a lot quicker. Thank you guys for tuning in. I will catch you guys again in two weeks. Peace. Damn, it worked everywhere. Try and get this money if you need it. I can sell it, yeah. I used to work at mobile selling gas about that gas station. Night shift mopping floors. Had a nigga back aching. I could give you 10 on two, or I can give you two for 10. Now I ain't no dope dealer. But nigga, I was about my ends. Try and pick the studio time. And maybe cop some Tim's. So if you think they got the cheaper price, then you should cop from them. I even used to work at the show. Marcus Moody. Sweeping up that popcorn, saving for a hoopty. Rapping to myself, they used to say I look goofy, but little did they know that I was about to make a movie? I used to work at Foot Locker, they fired me in front of Oh, I quit it so I could spit it. However, do you want it? Now you get it. And the great words are Lauren. I went from giving tours at LA Fitness to.